0: How are we doing, Connection Morning Church? Happy. All right, you're happy. That's what I like to hear. Very good. Uh, I'm excited if we go through this uh, second uh, week of happy. Uh, um, I will let you know, last week, uh, I looked at the time on mine, it was 51 minutes, and so y'all were probably happy when it was over. I was like, man. Okay, so today, I've tried to get a little streamlined here, uh, just for the sake of time, but I will say what God has given me, I think, is very, very powerful, because what I've liked about... Going through the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians as our main text is, in preparation for this sermon, I read a lot of books on happiness. And I would read them and they would be, wow, that's kind of, that's a good point. I like this point and that might make me happier. But then as I read through Philippians and I prayed through Philippians and I began to see Paul's talking about a, a different level of happy. He's talking about the type of happiness we can find in a prison cell. And we have this man who is on death row, who is literally waiting to hear if his life is going to make it or not, if, if the judge is going to be for him or against him. And yet he writes this letter that has joy every single chapter. We see joy as the theme, and the way he gets there is quite different than the way we normally get to joy. Last week, we talked about paying a price. One of the things that you'll see is Paul continuously will say things like, if I have to give up my life for this cause, God is still going to be glorified, and it brings me joy to know that. And so last week, we talked about paying the cost, and this week, it's probably just as unique or unexpected in my opinion of the source of joy, or the path to joy that Paul gives us. Um, when we started this church, this church is uh, is about to be 10 years old. And some of y'all know the story of this church, and, and uh, some of you may not, but this church was actually birthed out of another church that I was pastoring. I was pastoring a church called the Springs Church, and we met in a school kind of like this. and. One of the things became apparent as I was pastoring this church, and that was that I had no clue where we were going, and I was disorganized, and there were so many things going on uh, in my leadership that I, I just really began to pray, where, wh- what's our next step? What do I need to, to be doing? And God really just put it on my heart as, at this church, The Springs, to just take some time to just go into prayer and really pray for where our church needed to be what was interesting about that time period is where I told our church, hey, I mean, imagine me standing up here and say, hey, I want to let y'all know, uh, we're not going to be meeting in the next couple of weeks. We're just going to gather together. And if you want to come over and pray, we're going to be praying at, uh, at somebody's house. And if you want to come pray with us, we would love for you to pray. And as you, you may imagine, within about two or three weeks, uh, there wasn't a church that, that we really had, I mean, people pretty much had scattered. And... I will never forget in that moment of just confusion and in my mind, I was thinking things OK, I better get a resume together. I better begin to figure out what I'm going to do, because I had this, this one shot at, at leading a church and I screwed it up and I failed at it. And I was at this, this point in my life where I honestly thought, you know, I'll just figure something out. And then I got a phone call. One of the, the first phone calls was from my brother, my brother who helped start that church, and he helped start this church. And he said, hey, I just wanted to uh, figure out what we're doing this, this coming week. <laughs> What's next? And I said, well, you know, I feel like I gave it a good shot. I feel like, you know, we'll pray about it. And he was like, well, I mean, we're still here. I'm still here. We're, we're, you still got a church. We're still here. And. Uh, I said, yeah, but I just, you know, financial, all this. And he's like, you know, I'm still tithing. I'm still giving my my, my portion. I'm still here. And then uh, we had another family in the church uh, and the Masulos were one. There were there were a few families that just kind of said, hey, Joel, just want to let you know we're still here or whatever God has, has led us to. We're still ready to be a part of this church. And as I got a few of these phone calls and I just began to see God is, is not done with me and he's not done with us, but the way that... I got there at this lowest point of my life, this lowest moment where I thought I had ruined everything one by one to see people just come in and say, hey, we're still with you and we're still with the mission that you have given to the church, Joel. We are we have not left. If anything, we're we're excited to see what God is about to do. And they began to encourage me. And I just began to find more and more joy with a church that didn't have a lot of people we had. Uh, no building, but we didn't even have the school anymore. We were just just in a house and we were just praying. And I was so encouraged simply because of people who began to be unified together with us. And that's what I want to talk about today. Today, I want to talk about unity as a path to joy. Because you see, unity is the friend of happiness. That's the title of this message. Most of us, we, we don't think about when we're, we're, we're saying to ourselves, you know, I want to be happy. I, I just want, I want to have some happiness or joy in my life. Most of us don't think, you know what I need to do is I need to go get unified with some people. I need to just go get unified. Most of us say, no, I want to go do awesome things. But Paul says that we're going to see Paul, he has this whole different philosophy of how to find joy. And one of those ways to find joy in a prison cell is to find unity with your Christian brothers and sisters. And you see, in this chapter, uh, chapter 2, we're going to read the whole thing today. But at the end of this chapter, he actually he, he, he has this kind of side note. He says, by the way, I'm sending you a friend of mine. And he says to this church in Philippi that uh, he's writing to from a prison cell. He says, I want to let you all know I'm sending a friend of mine, uh, Epaphroditus, who you know I'm sending him to you. And uh, I just want you to be encouraged by him coming. You thought he was sick. I just want to show you that he's well. He's the one that's going to bring this letter to them. And I just want you to think about how big a deal it is for someone in prison who has like two that we know of. He has two people that are with him. He has this this guy and he has Timothy. And for him to say, you know what, I want so much for you to be encouraged, even though you're. Hundreds of miles away. I want for you to be encouraged. I'm going to give you one of my only two people here in prison. I'm going to give one of them to you just to encourage you. Just, that's how big a deal it is that Paul sees the unity. Is that the two people that actually followed him and stuck with him that are there. He says, I'm going to give you one of them. I want you to see how big a deal it is. So we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. I'm Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I want you to see how unity is a friend to happiness. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy. So he says, I'm already happy, but what you could do here is going to complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What's interesting is this is very reminiscent of what Jesus said. And, and Jesus, one of the last things Jesus did for us before he went to the cross is he prayed for us. In John chapter 17, you can read that this week, he he prays for us and his prayer in John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, Lord, I'm not only going to pray for the people, uh, for my disciples, I'm also going to pray for the people they're going to reach and the people they're going to reach. And he basically says, I'm going to pray for us now. Jesus prayed for us. And he says, my only prayer is that they will be one, that they will be unified. And so Paul says, if you really want to know how to make me happy bring me joy in a prison cell, be unified. Be together. Be in, as he says, full accord. And so he's going to Go the rest of the chapter talking about this theme of unity. Unity is a friend to joy. First thing I want you to see is that pride will kill unity. Pride kills unity. And so pride will kill your joy. If you are prideful, it will kill your joy. This is what he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit. And both of these are another way of saying the word pride. They're a little bit different. Selfish ambition would be me trying to get ahead of you, me always trying to win and beat you at your expense. And conceit would just be kind of me thinking I'm better than you. Even if we don't do anything, I'm better than you. Thinking that I'm... That's conceit. But it both flows from this idea of pride. And I want you to, to see... That when we think about pride or conceit, they almost always, those two, two pride or selfishness almost always rears its head with one, in one way, comparison. Comparing ourselves to others is a sure way for us to inflate ourselves, for us to find that we are becoming prideful. And so he says, don't do this. This will kill your joy. This will crush our unity if we begin to be prideful. And I want you to think about the, the, the way we think about um, pride, a way it infects us when we compare. If you're, if you're in here and you're married, you probably want a great marriage, right? I hope you want a great marriage. But you understand that there is the idea of, hey, I want a great marriage. Or you might look at certain people you know, and you say, you know what, really what I want is I want their marriage. I want their great marriage. You say, I want a, a great job, and that's, that's good to, to go after a great job. But if you say, I want that person's, I wish I was them, I wish I had their job, and you begin to, there's a difference when we talk about uh, wanting to accomplish something wanting to be successful and wanting someone, someone's other success, all of a sudden pride kind of infiltrates whenever we begin to look at other people. You can't inflate yourself unless you are deflating someone else unless you are looking. And that's one of the, the main ways that we see that we see joy killed is when we begin to become prideful, and that rears its head when we begin to compare ourselves. To others, And so Paul says from the beginning, how I want you to be unified. I want you to find this joy of just being with people that are, are on the same path, that love each other and that are there for you in your tough times. I want you to see the joy of what it's like to have people around you. But he says... But if you become prideful, if you begin to, to try to, to win at all costs, if you begin to, to think, you know what, you're better than them, and you begin to look at them and, 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 and compare yourselves, that's going to kill the unity, and that will kill the joy. There's a, um, one of the books I read had a great quote. It said this. There's no area of life where our happiness would not be increased if we would cease to compare ourselves to people who we always imagine to be happy. And he makes a good point. is Every time that you compare yourself to someone else and, and, and you want something that they have, almost every single time you, you're assuming they're always happy. You're looking at their Instagram, that's where I want to be. We did that yesterday. We were looking at uh, people in Jamaica over on the thing. You know, If we're always in that mindset of I want to be where they're, knowing that in reality Instagram is not real, that we're imagining their happiness. But pride rears its head. And so he says, listen, I want you to be joyful. And the the premise of this whole thing is that your pride, your selfishness, if if that is allowed to fester, if that's allowed to grow, unity will be divided. Anytime you try to, to, through conceit or through pride, when you try to separate yourself and say, I'm better than someone, what you're really doing is just dividing. You're setting yourself apart from others. And we live in a culture where most of us think that's a good thing. I want to set myself apart. I want to be different. I want to to be as far far away from the the norm as possible. But, But what Paul says is, listen, if you want joy, you need to be able to be unified with your church, be unified with those that are on the same path with you. And so he's going to give us the antidote to our pride. And it's a very simple idea. He says, but in humility... He uses this word humility. What is humility? He defines it for us. He says, Count others as more significant than yourself. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he says, Listen, don't be prideful. You've got to squash your pride. You can't be comparing yourself to others and trying to to set yourself apart. If you really want joy, he said, and he's talking to a church. That's a big part of the context here. He says within the church, listen, you've got to seek unity at all costs. You've got to to be together on this. And the only way you're going to get there is through this word, humility. Counting others more significant than yourself. Now, this to me is the challenge of unity. This is the challenge that all of us face. You know, you can't just say, man, I'm the most humble person in the world, right? You just can't make that statement. All of us would like to say that we are humble, but humility is really one of the hardest, hardest qualities for us to actually go after. This is a huge challenge. I was thinking about the most humble person I know. It's It's a guy named Steve, okay? And Steve really is, without a doubt, when I think of humility, I think of my friend Steve. Now, Steve, I don't know if I've told you all this, I I take Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Did y'all know this? Steve is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, okay? And, uh, but he's also, he legitimately is the most humble guy that I think I've ever met. He could twist me and kill me and, and into a pretzel at any moment, but yet he's so humble and he would never, he doesn't speak like he could do that, he doesn't. And so it began to, as I, as I contemplated, as I thought about this, this idea of humility, I looked at Steve's example, he's a Christ follower, by the way, I realized there's a difference between being humble and being humbled, right? And this is where I think humility for us gets a, a bad rap, because most of us have this thought when it comes to humility is, man, I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be humbled. I don't want to be in a position where I'm knocked down a peg. Nobody likes to be humbled. I I was having a conversation with Joey and we were talking about times where uh, we faced humility and, you know, those, the same ideas come back of, a uh, time you got benched as a uh, you know in high school or a time where you got fired in a job if you've ever gotten in a fight and lost the fight it's just these times where you get knocked down a peg and it's never fun to be humbled but being humble is an entirely different thing being humble is actually a path to joy because it brings humility or it brings unity and so when I think about Steve, I think about this idea of, I can approach Steve two different ways. Now, just a little side uh, journey into Brazilian jiu-jitsu that you were waiting for for the day. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, is unique, and it, it's simply this, in that you can actually spar with somebody at 100%. Now, if you uh, were a boxer, you cannot box somebody 100% every single time you train with them. You, one of you would die. One of you would absolutely die, Okay. But when you're grappling with someone, uh, you can go 100% and it's safe. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill them, okay? And so there's two ways I can approach Steve, this guy who's so humble, okay? I could say, you know what? Joel's going to win today, which, by the way, is not going to happen. But I could say, Joel's going to win today. And I could come in there and maybe throw a punch or maybe just aggressively just do everything. And if I do that, I will guaranteed not have a good time and I will be humbled. I will be put in a position where I am humbled or I can do the wise thing and I can say he's a black belt. If I approach this in any way other than he is so much better than me, he is so much more dangerous than I am that I'm going to approach this cautiously. I'm going to approach this with humility and and I very timidly approach, OK, with caution and respect, and what usually happens is, within five seconds, he's teaching me how to do something that I didn't know how to do. And it's because I approached him with humility. Humility, being humble, is a path to joy. Being humbled will result in a lot of pain and frustration. So most of us, when we are conceited or we, we have this pride and, and we begin to compare ourselves, what happens is we don't realize it. The reason we're not finding joy is because we're being humbled. But when you begin to look at your relationships with humility and, and realize, you know what? Other people have a value and I'm going to value them even more than I value myself. All of a sudden, everything becomes an opportunity. Every interaction becomes an opportunity. And so I look at all the areas of my life where humility is something I've tried to grow in humility, but where it has made me a stronger, more joyful person. As a pastor, I'll tell you, I am way more dispensable now than I have ever been in the history of our church. When we first started this church, I was doing a lot of things. I was doing the graphics in our church when we first started. I was doing a ton of stuff. For a second, I even thought about doing the music, which would not have been a good idea. But the more and more we have more volunteers, we have more people joining the church, all of a sudden, really, uh, if I wasn't here saying, hey, I'm going I'm to at least preach, I still need to do something. But I show up, and you guys have done... So much. And that's such a great thing. But there used to be a, a part of me, and this was way back, that, that part of my pride would get in. And I would be like, you know what, I don't even think people know that I'm here today. If, you know, if I wouldn't have stood up and talked, a lot of people might not have. You know, I don't know that people know how important I am to this place. And it just naturally, I would feel myself like, man, we had a great day. Not one person said, man, Joel, you did a great job. You know what I mean? And it just creeps in. But now it's to the point where we have a great day and I just know, you know what? We had a great day because I'm, 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 I'm not vital to this. We had a great day because God worked in so many ways and the less that, that we see Joel, the man, the more powerful we probably saw God. And all of a sudden I realize, you know what? There's, there's a lot less pressure on me now knowing that it's not about me and just being taught that. And the same goes in, in my personal life as well. You know, as a... As a parent. Before I had kids, I was pretty good ki- parent. I, I, I would tell you exactly how to raise your kid. I could, I was a youth minister and I had little kids and I was telling teen, parents of teenagers, let me tell you how to raise your, your, your t- teenager. I mean, I got this figured out. And it's a humbling thing to have kids and realize you can do everything right and it all goes wrong. You can do everything wrong and somehow it goes right. And you just begin to realize, you know what, this is the grace of God. And you spend time in prayer, you spend a lot less time telling people how you, how they should do it. And you just begin to realize, you know what, a lot of this is out of my control. And so as a parent, I've been a lot more, as I've been humbled by trying to to be the person who, you know, I always told myself I would never do this, I would always do that. And as I realized that is not something I'm going to be able to achieve, to see that it's not all about me. It gives me a lot of peace It gives me a lot of peace knowing my kids can still turn out okay even though I screw up every single day. The same goes for following Christ. I used to have this mindset that, you know, someday I'm going to outgrow my sins. Have you ever thought that? Someday, I'm going to. When I was a, 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 a teenager, I would always think, you know, someday this won't be an issue. I won't have to struggle with uh, lustful thoughts. I won't have to struggle with pride. All these stuff, you know, of adults, they just grow out of these habits. And it was a funny thing when I began to realize, you know what? People look at me like I'm an adult. I thought I was supposed to shed a lot of these things. And all of a sudden, it's a hum- it, it becomes hum- a humbling experience to realize, you know, I've been able to step out of a lot of struggles that I had, but I did it not by my own power. I did it by the grace of God. And I could fall back into those in a second. And that humility is what, is what brings me joy of knowing God is working in my own life, not just in the things that I'm doing. He is working. Humility is the key to unity. You can never be a unified church. You can never be unified as a family if it's always about you being the best, you making sure that you get what you need and what you want. But it is interesting that he gives us a caveat because a lot of us take humility too far and, and we, we think, well, does that mean I have to be a martyr? Does that mean I always have to, at my expense, everything is going to be at my expense? And he says in verse 4, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interest." but also to the interest of others. He said, listen, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. You've got to take care of yourself. In fact, I would tell you, I think every Christian, man or woman, has a duty to invest and prepare himself or herself for the day, spiritually, mentally, I mean emotionally, and physically. You need to be prepared. You need to be investing in yourself. I think that you see that when, when Paul says right here, he says, don't only look at to, to your own interests. But he's saying, hey, you need to take care of your own interest." Jesus says you need to treat other people. How do you treat them? The way you would treat yourself. You need to treat others as you would treat yourself. So it's not that we neglect ourselves, but it's that we don't do it for our own end. That's Pride. I get up and, and I'll tell you, I work out, I, uh, I have my coffee, I read the Bible, and I take that time before I do anything else, because I know that I'm probably going to have a day in which I, I'm, I'm having to pour out some of my, my um, energy and effort for others, that I'm going to be doing ministry. And you have the same knowledge. You know, if you go to, to work, wherever you work, there are going to be other people there, most likely. Am I right? And some of those people are going to be tempted to drain a little of your soul with them, right? Am I right? Don't amen that if they're here with you. But you know I've got to be prepared. The only way that you'll be able to pour out for someone is if you have filled up. And so Paul is saying, look not only to your own interests, but make sure you're prepared. Make sure you're prepared so that you can look to others' interest. It is important now, if, if, if you are not taking care of yourself and you're calling that because you're a humble Christian, I would tell you that that can be a form of pride too. But it's important that you, I would say, wake up every morning and spend time in the word. Spiritually, you've got to get filled. Emotionally. If it means you need to be alone or if that means you need to just spend time in prayer, praying for yourself. Emotionally, you need to prepare your heart to be around the people you're going to be. The people that are going to need some of your ministry today. Some of your energy today. You need to prepare yourself emotionally so that you are in a position to give. You know you're going to have a hard day. If you know things are good, dramas going on in your life, you have to be prepared emotionally. Physically, you need to get prepared physically, but you don't have enough time. We have an excuse of why we can't take care of ourselves when you don't take care of yourself. What you're really saying to the world is, listen, I don't have enough time to pour off to you. I'm going to spend all of my time today being uh, uh, not being filled, but being drained. So as a Christian, I'm telling you, we need to be investing in ourselves so that we can invest in others. He says, do not look only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Never apologize for investing in yourself. If your motive is to be able to to be filled enough that you can overflow for someone else. Now, he goes on, and, and anytime we are, even if you are the most emotionally squared away person in this place, which some of you may be, I don't know, even if that comparison creeps back in, well, you know, I've got my act together. Why should I have to go and minister to them? Why should I have to spend time with them? Some people are harder than others. I don't know if you know this. Some people are harder than others to be around. Some people are more draining than others. And we compare ourselves to those people. Why? Why? I can't believe I have to go, you know, spend. I, I've done everything right. Why do I have to go spend time with them? And even as Christ's followers in a church, we can get in this mindset of disunity. So Paul says this. A Christ follower is always going to be humble, not because we don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to one person, to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Now, theologians call the nature of Jesus, we call it the hypostatic union. And basically what that means is that Jesus was fully God and fully man and it's so hard for us to understand. And Paul, this is one of the greatest breakdowns of of who Jesus is. And he says when we compare ourselves, remember we're not comparing ourselves to one another, then you'll get prideful. We compare ourselves to Jesus who, though he was the form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What does it mean he emptied himself? He had divine qualities. He was God. He is God. But he willingly emptied himself of some of his divine qualities. For example, as God, God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But yet he emptied himself of this immutability. He, he emptied himself and he became a man as A baby who would grow and change. The Bible says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. In other words, he got bigger and he got wiser. So God gave up some of the uh, um, attributes of his divinity so that he could be in form a man. And why did he do that? You think about this. It says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God thought so much of us that God in all of his greatness, in all of his divine attributes emptied himself, humbled himself, became a man simply so he could reconcile you and me. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Of God the Father. Most people think that this is a hymn that they would have sung. And Paul is quoting this this hymn, this song that they sing. You know, Martin Luther, when he read this, he came up with a phrase. Martin Luther was a a reformer. He uh, was a, a devout Christian. And he came up with this phrase, the great exchange. And he says, when we read this about what Jesus did, it's the great exchange. He exchanged all of his divinity. He exchanged his goodness, his righteousness, and he gave it to you. He gave his righteousness to you, his worth to you. And he took your sinfulness, all of the the qualities that that are the opposite of his divinity. he took everything, your unrighteousness, your filth, he took that. And it's a great exchange. It worked out really well for us. In his humility, Jesus emptied himself. And that's why God raised him back up. And so, therefore, Paul says in verse 12, therefore, in other words, because Jesus is our example and he gave up his divinity, he had everything, gave it up so that he had nothing. And therefore, that is why he is exalted. Because of that, obey as you have always obeyed. Now, not just in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, now, knowing that, knowing that our, who we compare ourselves to is Jesus, who, who is the ultimate example of humility, knowing that, work out your salvation. And he doesn't mean go be a good person. He means now when you think about how you're going to be reconciled to God, when you think about how you're going to be close to God, do it with a comparison of Jesus. How are you doing when you compare your life to Jesus? Is there any pride there? You see, when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we realize we're worthy of nothing. We've died for nothing. In fact, he died for us. Therefore, every Christian should be so humble. We don't deserve anything, but yet God gave us everything. When we work out our salvation, it means we get on our knees and we thank God that he is working in us because of Jesus Christ. So, when it says work it out with fear and trembling, fear and trembling should be underlined in your Bible. We work it out not because it's on us, because it's not on us. We understand who Jesus is, and it humbles us. And so, He brings it to our practical application. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's hard to do if you're prideful, but once you read the the text before that and you say, you know what, Jesus gave everything, this great exchange, how could I complain? Why would I divide? Why would I divide my church or complain or grumble against somebody else that's a brother in Christ? Why would I ever do that when I know everything Jesus has done for me? He says, Do everything without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. He said, Our unity is going to be so impactful that this world, this dark world, is going to see how unified you are. And they're going to be drawn to the light of God. They're going to be drawn to Christ because of that. Now, I don't have it in your notes, but Paul goes on. I just want to read this to you real quick. He says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain. I did not labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. He says, even if I'm going to give my life in this moment because I've been preaching the word. He says, um, he says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. In unity, I rejoice. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, even if I have to give my life because we are unified in this, because we are together and it is worth it. I have a joy. When we talk about real happiness. I think about that time when I was pretty sure the church wasn't going to make it. And I think about the unity and the encouragement I had in that lowest time and how I found joy when I was really low. Uh, Last night, uh, I was watching Conor McGregor fight. I don't know if y'all saw that fight. But anyway, uh, I was over at Caleb's house, uh, Fisher's house, and Caleb just made a comment. We were uh, were talking about uh, the church and he says, you know what? Every time I think about uh, the day that his house burned down, he went through a a horrible day. It was not a good day, was it, Amanda? No. Every time he says, every time I think about that, you know that one of the first things I think about is Joey showing up with just a handful of gift cards to give to us. He says that's what I think about, and I thought, man, that's that's a crazy thing. I mean, there's a lot of things, other things he probably thinks of. To know that's in the top, that's exciting to me. You know, I think about one of the worst days we've ever had. And it was a few years ago, and many of y'all were here on that day when our son got diagnosed with diabetes type 1. And, uh, I mean, we had spent the week in the hospital, and then I got up and, and preached uh, with just, I mean, it was just a hard day. And we went home from church, and we just spent, it was one of the first days we were back. And when we got home about 30 minutes later, we just had women show up at our house and start cleaning our house. And they didn't know how to help us, so they just thought, you know what, everybody likes that clean house. And they just started cleaning our house. And I just remember sitting on my couch on literally one of the worst days of my life with a smile thinking, this is so bizarre that people are just here cleaning our house. You know, I think about all the meals, all of the times where I I, I hear of uh, somebody in in a connect group or somebody giving a meal or just going over and spending time with someone. And I think to myself, this is what he's talking about. We talk about Man, I want to I be happy. Some of us, for our kids, we, I just want them to be happy. And I will tell you, you know what? What we really want is we want to be unified. We want to know that on our worst day, we are not alone. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to walk with us and be with us. And that's part of the vision of this church. It's relationships over religion. So all I want to leave you with today is if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a, a time where you say, how can I possibly have joy? This makes no sense to have joy in a prison cell. Rather than seeing, man, how can I make this? Maybe I could do this, this. this. I want to encourage you to just reach out. And just connect with someone from your church. Or maybe if you're going good and, and you've invested, your, things are, are going pretty well for you. Reach out to someone you know is going through something. And I promise you, the path to joy, is through unity. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church specifically and the people who you have brought here who aren't just here to hear a message. We're here to live a message. So Lord, I thank you for every single person in a connect group over the years who has given their time or their investment just to make sure that someone else is taken care of. And Lord, for those that are here today right, right now that, that might be overwhelmed with life, Lord, maybe they're, they feel like they're drowning, like there's no way they're ever going to overcome what they're facing. Lord, I pray that they will not leave here without being encouraged by another brother or sister in Christ. I pray that the power of this church will be felt by our relationships with one another. And the best way we can honor you is when we love one another. And Lord, I pray just what Paul said, that the world, that the people who are not a part of this will see this, so see the love we have for one another. See how even on our dark days we find joy in comforting one another and encouraging one another. And I pray that it will draw them to you.